Khaleb Kachalia, the DA Shadow Minister of Public Enterprises, uh, thank you for joining me to discuss part one of the second report that's come out of the state capture inquiry focusing on Transnet. I'll admit there aren't enough hours in the day to have gone through both Transnet and Denel, so just look at Transnet for today. Have you had an opportunity to read that report broadly? Do you concur with the, uh, the inquiry chairperson's finding that uh, convincingly, it was established state capture took part of Transnet? Uh, I have looked at it broadly, as you say. It's some 500 pages long. I have uh, scanned it, I think would be uh, correct to say. And where my interest was piqued, I, I delved into it. Uh, to answer your question, uh, I think... Zondo says in summation that a systematic capture uh, uh, scheme aimed at securing illegal and corrupt control of the decision-making took place. And I think I concur with that, given the evidence that was presented uh, with that uh, broad conclusion. The individuals singled out, it's Brian Malefe, Anoj Singh, Siabonga Gama, these gentlemen all identified as, quote, the architects and implementers, close quote, of state capture transnet. Two out of the three, Mr. Malef and Mr. Singh, would go on to ply their trade at ESCOM. Um, now, we know that the, the tally of looting at, at transnet is over 40 billion rand. That went to the benefit of the Guptas. Do you think that that's a drop in the ocean compared to what they were able to pull off at ESCOM? Well, that's the next chapter, as it were, that will come out. And I think it's going to be uh, certainly as eye-wateringly big, if not more. Uh, uh, now, the, you know, my, my take on all this is, yes, I've read it. I've, uh, it's not necessarily news to me. The detail of the, of the evidentiary declarations is new uh, and and revealing, but this work is a was done was informed rather uh, by considerable work that was done by investigatory journalists uh, in the past, uh, and if you take the sum total of the of the of the evidence. Uh, from the investigations that journalists have made into this, plus the evidence that Zondo details in his report and the addition in the footnotes of the various bundles of evidentiary material which are made available. It is a significant body of evidence which points to eye-watering and systematic uh, looting that took place over a period of time at the behest of certain people in government and through the agency of certain people, some of the names you've mentioned, but there are many others uh, who have been uh, involved uh, in one way, shape or form. The point is that this now exists now, what is to be done with this is the question. Uh, and we have been told that there's been, the NPA has put together a 15-person team 
to deal with uh, various uh, uh, aspects of this and to effect prosecutions. The problem is, how is this team going to be A, resourced? B, what powers will they have? And then, how is this going to be taken forward? Now, in order to resource a team of this, of this kind properly, it has to be funded. There has to be security in place for this team. And then this team needs, it can't, I don't know how they operate because I'm not privy to that, but it can't be the ad hoc workings of various people plowing through this uh, this documentation. Uh, it, you know, I, I don't want to prescribe or teach grandmother how to suck eggs, but there needs to be a matrix uh, there needs to be a, a mapping of what went on uh, that identifies evidentiary strengths and gaps uh, in, in the process. And that has to be then cross-referenced uh, against uh, potential prosecutory transgressions. Uh, and it has to have support at the highest level as well as resourcing and funding. If that takes place, and it needs to take place, then we may have something to go for, go forward with. Otherwise, it will be the continual drip of prosecutions here and there, of which there not be many, and uh, it would result in this, ex these expensive commissions being a waste of money. Well, I want to speak about some of the characters who have been arrested uh, and are out on bail. People like Iqbal Sharma, who, who headed up uh, one of the subcommittees uh, of the border, Transnet, uh, Kuben Mudli, who ran a company called Albertime, he got arrested at the airport uh, looking to, on his version of events, go play golf in Dubai. Uh, I wonder who his golfing partners were. Um, now, those are just two. There are several names. Uh, Molefe Singh Gama Malusi Gigaba, um, the Deputy Chief Justice, in his capacity as the inquiry chair, says... Look, it's the NPA needs to to look at the possibility of corruption and racketeering charges against them. But uh, the NPA is the end point. The starting point is law enforcement. And as you as you point out, how are these how is law enforcement going to be resourced? Because the majority of these crimes took place eight, nine, ten, eleven years ago. Do we need to be realistic about the prospects of successful prosecutions here? Maybe temper our expectations as the public? Uh, I don't know is the answer. I mean, I think we need to be rigorous and we need to, uh, and the authorities who are looking at this need to take a view as to what is prosecutable and what would potentially result in success. There, there are a host of people, as you say. It goes beyond uh, the usual suspects. It, go, it you know, Jeff Radebe, Sipiwe Nyanda, uh, Sia Guma, uh, Gama, uh, Salim Essa. The list goes on and on and on beyond beyond the Iqbal Sharmas and the Brian Molifes. There's Lynn Brown, uh, who needs to be held to account in in in, in no uh, uncertain terms. Now. Uh, you know, I don't know, I'm not a lawyer, and I don't know how this can be uh, bundled together in a racketeering, uh, money laundering and fraud charge. 
racketeering, as I understand it, is not part and parcel necessarily of our of our legal prosecution environment. But there is a case to be made uh, for collusion, uh, if I choose to use that word, and if the if there is a case to be made for co- collusion that speaks to racketeering, money laundering, fraud, and theft, not to put to find a point on it, then, uh, uh, then, then in that collusionary bundle, there may be merit in in taking it in taking it forward. But as I say, I'm not a lawyer. These people have to have to have to look at this and and come up with a with with something that that holds and that uh, uh, is uh, that, that the public can look at and say, well, thank God something's being done. Apart from that, there needs to be measures put in place to ensure that this doesn't continue. Because, you know, in both ESCOM and Transnet, the procurement regime still holds. The command and control mechanisms that uh, the current government is so fond of and the current ministry is so fond of putting in place is largely responsible for the, the shield under which all of this operated hitherto. Then there's the question of the deployment committee of the ANC and their role and culpability in all this. These are all various aspects and the dots have to be connected in no uncertain fashion. And then something has to be done about it retrospectively and going forward to say this is what we're going to do to ensure that this never happens again. And that requires a level of transparency that this government has yet to embrace in almost 30 years of existence. Now, I'm not a corporate governance expert by any stretch of the imagination, but um, Zonda's report makes the observation that prior to 2011, when Molefe coincidentally comes in, the board all of a sudden starts getting involved in procurement, when prior to 2011, it had never been involved in any procurement matters. What's your understanding of how boards are supposed to operate at SOEs versus the centralization of procurement power in the board of an S, of a state-owned entity? What's your understanding of how boards are supposed to operate? Well, I mean, we have a, we have a template and an understanding of how boards operate in the private sector, and that is governed clearly by, you know, uh, by, 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 by documentation, by reports, by, by practices and procedures, by king, etc., etc., etc. We don't have the same rigor in 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 the in the public sector, uh, and it is made up as as one goes along. Uh, uh, the, uh, and when when one says that the that the that the aspects of the Companies Act and the and, and and the governance that applies there needs to be applied to the uh, to the to the public sector, it has been met in in the past with some uh, resistance, saying that no no it's entirely different. But it's because it was not dealt with in this manner that we have opened ourselves up to this sort of malfeasance, mismanagement, and 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 corruption, which is which has occurred. Uh, and uh, as you say, uh, wait until the quantum of madness in ESCOM is exposed, and then we'll understand exactly what this 
uh, how these public entities, which are supposed to provide public goods, have failed and have encouraged and opened themselves up in the past and in an ongoing fashion going forward. There are, there are, there, there are opportunities for people to do the same. I mean, take Transnet, for example, which is what we're talking about. There is a master plan. There's always a master plan to, uh, to, to, to improve the ports. Uh, and there's uh, private sector uh, involvement that is being looked at in terms of the operation of the ports while, while the ownership will remain within state hands. Now, we need to know who those private sector entities are that are being courted or are courting Transnet. What governance exists to ensure that they are not politically connected people? Rumors abound. I get calls every day to say X is involved and Y is doing this. That will be scotched if there's transparency to say this is these are the these are the entities. We drill down and show that these entities below the line are involved with these entities. This is how they are potentially conflicted or not. And this is what needs to happen. Otherwise, it's more of the same. You clean up one mess and you uh, and you create another. Admittedly, it won't be on the on, on the horrific scale that it was, but it's got to come to an end. Yeah, the the use of of the private sector um, within state owned entities, consultants, the wide use of consultants, and I, I'm sure you're familiar with with Bain and and company and how they were instrumental along with Tom Moyane and Jacob Zuma, the former head of state, in the destruction of the South African Revenue Service that was in the top five in the world, but it had to be restructured for some unknown reason, and they destroyed all. Um, the illicit crime uh, units that were dealing so successfully with organized crime in the country, they got rid of them. Now, I want to ask about the use of McKinsey, Trillion, Regiments. These are all Guptalink companies besides McKinsey, but um, they're all coming in to to, to render services that can be done in-house. Is this common across government and state-owned entities that there's this duplication. We're paying somebody to do it in-house, but we'll rather bring somebody from outside some big multinational consultancy and pay them three times that amount. Yes, if you hire intelligently and create the in-house capacity to deal with these things, it is desirable. But I must say that you cannot exclude consultants entirely. Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, I'm a former consultant. I was a partner in a company called Monitor. That company, Monitor, uh, was an American company uh, that was one of the top five uh, international consultancies. It operated in South Africa. I ran in uh, uh, adjunct with others, uh, the South African office. We put in place at the request of, of SARS at the time, around about 1998. All the elements of SARS that led it to be the most successful operation or one of the most successful operations in the world that, that people acknowledged. And that set SARS on a course where it was humming. Because it hummed so well, certain people's interests were being challenged. And then elements within government sought to take 
to, to find another consultancy, namely Bain, to come in and undo what Monitor had done. Now, the eyes should have been open at that particular time. They weren't. Our eyes are being opened retrospectively. But what I'm saying is that there's a role for in-house consulting. But if you have an in-house consulting unit, you have to have it there and it's expensive and you have to have it there long term. Uh, and there are all kinds of HR implications involved in terms of pensions, in terms of ongoing salaries, etc. And that has to be that has to be looked at against hiring consultants on a short-term basis to come in and do a specific job, the best brains in the world dedicated to deliver something absolutely finite and proper, like I believe we did in Monitor for SARS, but then you open the, the door to it being undone by others who are unscrupulous, as Bain was in this particular instant. Mr. Mazzoni Massone has gone back to Italy, and he is now uh, running an operation. He's a partner, a vice president of of, an, of another consultancy um, called Alchemy, I think, that has offices in South Africa. So he's just gone from That's one correct. to another. <laughs> so, I mean, we've got the State of the Nation address coming up later in the week. I will bet my last bar one chocolate that we're going to hear President Ramaphosa speak about professionalizing the public service, uh, about reversing years of state capture and how gains have already been made, how people will be held accountable. Do your eyes glaze over when you sort of hear these speeches? You've been in Parliament uh, for some time. You know, has the ANC become very good at sort of just shifting deck chairs around in the Titanic here? Clearly, I mean, the, you know, Mr. President, where were you all these years when this was happening? What was your position in government? What was your position within the ANC? Which committees did you sit on? What roles were you tasked with? What oversight and governance were you tasked with? And why has that failed and delivered us where we are now? And then you ask us to believe you that you're going to clean up. And when you say, trust me, I'm a doctor. Well, I'm not going to do so so easily. We need to be rigorous. And the trouble is about rigor is that if the ANC is going to be rigorous, it's going to cannibalize itself. And that is the problem. But let's see what he says. And if he doesn't put teeth into these organizations and resource them appropriately with independent people and funds and resources to do so, then he will be failing in this regard. I will wait to hear what he has to say. Will I believe everything he says? <laughs> the uh, Public Enterprises Shadow Minister. Much appreciate your time. Thank you.